Okay. Um, hello and welcome to Further Research Needed, the podcast with straightforward questions and not so straightforward answers. Today we're talking about DNA, believe it or not. Ooh. I start with a beer. Cheers, as always. Cheers. Today's oh, no. topic oh, no, no. came to me. Okay, okay, I think you see me the time for this. But good sound, good sound. The topic came to me when actually working for a change. <laughs> Not that I don't work, but usually our podcast topics come to us in over coffee breaks or whatever thing we do in our free time. And we do talk a lot about science in our free time. This topic, however, came to me or I got thought this would be interesting uh, when writing a literature review which is not directly about DNA structures in specific, but I learned a few interesting things about some of them. And I think while some of them I have known for a long time now, since my studies or so, there were a few aspects of them that were new to me and I wanted to share because it kind of the more I thought about it and more read about it again, it kind of shook my understanding of how DNA works. And since we're all somewhere in the life sciences and all of life is based on DNA, I think it's potentially interesting also for my two co-hosts and everyone who's listening. I would like to chat. Yeah, what about all the alien DNA? I like that. Oh, I wasn't going to that. <laughs> we oh, knock okay. down alien DNA. Anyway, I wanted to say though that I feel like DNA is quite boring. It's only four bases. Um, and so what kind of diversity can you get from A, T, G, and C rather than compared to the 23 amino acids? Is that right? I don't know. We do say 20 usually, but I think you can find a few more if you're really looking very, very hard. I, I was. <laughs> I was looking quite hard for those. Uh, yes. <laughs> Under the couch um, cushions. Under the couch cushions. <laughs> and, yeah. well, you, say, you say 20 canonical amino acids and then you find a few modifications there. Uh, I prefer the fan fiction amino acids more. Okay, okay. <laughs> they, really go, so, they really get into detail about the backstory. Of so why, why DNA is more interesting than just these four bases is, is these four bases, in fact, so the way we learn DNA or about DNA structure is that it's double-stranded. It forms this, this anti-parallel double-stranded helix. And that's kind of it. And then proteins come, they open it up and they read it. They transcribe RNA from it. And that's kind of all there is. That's kind of how we learn about DNA. And then you learn about RNA, which is usually single-stranded. And it makes all sorts of interesting structures. For example, it makes the clover leaf structure of the tRNA. It makes just this gigantic ribosome structure and a bunch more. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? Yeah, you're going Sorry. really fast. That was super oh. fast. What was the, what, why would RNA, even if it's only one strand, why does it make more st structures than DNA? Because it can, can fold back on itself. That's at least how you learn these things in undergrad. So while a DNA always pairs with, it, with its anti-parallel, its, its um, complementary strand, to a double helix, the RNA, the RNA is usually single-stranded, so it can fold back on itself. And this is now very difficult to explain without pictures. So I think I tried to explain it as colorful as possible and try not to use my hands because the, my two co-hosts can see my hands, but the listeners can't. So I think I should just talk with my, with my mouth and not with my hands. Um, the point here is that we learned that RNA can make a lot of different structures. And I do not want to talk about RNA today, even though it's way more interesting. But DNA can make a bunch of 
also very interesting structures that you may have not learned about or may not, not have learned to what extent they do exist in our genome. And people call them different names. They call them higher order DNA structures or non-canonical DNA structures. And I'm thinking of four different things. I'm thinking of something. Can I, can I jump in before that? Yes, please. So what I know from a long time ago about like lectures about DNA, that it, usually you think of it as kind of like this rope to use the easiest word I can find. So it's basically like it's two strands. You have this rope and then you go in and you basically just like kind of like wrap them up around stuff to make them more compact. So you basically have these small balls and then you just wrap them around a million balls and then you wrap the balls around more stuff and you just make it more compact. Basically what happens to your headphone cables in your pocket, it just makes this blob of stuff, right? But this is not what mm -hmm. we're talking about. In, in the nucleus. This, or... this is not yeah, what we're talking nucleus. about. What you're talking yeah. about is the condensation of DNA. So. Each of our cells has roughly two meters of DNA. You have been hearing me correctly. <laughs> Each single cell, let's say it's 50 microns long, contains two meters of DNA. That's outrageous. In, in order to fit that into the nucleus, it's, it's packed super tightly around chromatin and so on. This is not what I mean, though. What I mean is the very local structure on, on the almost atomic level that forms these doubles, uh, these, these, um, base paired helices, this double helix, mm -hmm. where these, yeah, I don't, don't think I have to explain the double helix more. If you don't know what it is, Google a picture of it. Um, it's probably the most famous helix there is, obviously. <laughs> um, it's definitely <laughs> all, the the all the helices out there. Helix. <laughs> of all the helices out there, it's the most famous one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I of dying. I don't know. I've never thought about ranking the most famous helix, but I mean, I, I think you're right. It's the most, it's the most famous helix of all of them. Mm -hmm. There's some marshmallows that helix shape. And what I'm talking about is alternative structures and then this double helix on the atomic level. Okay. So basically you have DNA and a certain sequence and it doesn't form a helix without something else, which is the sequence here. might be sequence might be part of that might also other things might influence it. Of course, the sequence is mm -hmm. always, it's always there. And always in DNA, the sequence is anti-parallel. So you always find the perfect base pairing partner on the other strand. That is how, because of the way how DNA is, is synthesized in the mm -hmm. cell. These, the structures you're going to talk about, are they, are you saying that, are they all natural? You see them in, in life or are they, because I know that there's a lot of um, work has been done synthesizing artificial DNA sequences that can form, I mean, they can form like cages or chairs or big rafts and all these sorts of things that can be done using DNA now. If you're talking about um, what is called DNA nanotechnology or DNA origami. That's it, yeah. yeah. That's not what I mean. I do mean structures found in our genome. Okay, I feel like we've tasted enough. Like what, what are you actually talking about now exactly. that we've ruled what I'm talking about is What I'm talking about is a thing called a G quadruplex, G quadruplex, mm -hmm. which is a bit of a fancy name for a certain structure. Um, there's another structure called an I motif. The I is intercalated. There is something called a Z DNA, 
and there's something called the triplex DNA. Um, I feel like I've heard about Z DNA. Isn't that let's start with that one form then. of helix? Exactly. It is a form of helix. What have you heard about it? That it's not the standard one. There's like A, B, and Z, basically. Exactly. And a and B, you just like the standard variety, and then Z is weird. I think that's all I remember. I don't it's, know why it's, it's weird. Exactly well, right. Uh, ZDNA has found uh, in some in vitro structures along, I think it was in the 70s. So that basically it would only form like artificially produced DNA. Exactly. It hasn't been found in life initially, but only in, in uh, what's called X-ray crystallography. So they thought the structure was formed as a higher energy byproduct. And for some it was stabilized in that, in that test tube. And they, they found that. So it's actually not right-handed, but it's left-handed and it's a bit of a, like a zigzag shape. So I'm, I'm desperately Googling it now and I've found a picture of it for, for our listeners. It looks a lot like if you took a kind of like a twisted staircase. So there's like the DNA, the line that makes up the backbone of the DNA takes Z shapes or steps into it as it goes round in still in a sort of helix, but it's a wider helix than the, the normal. Uh, That's exactly form. right. And they only found it under very high salt concentrations initially sodium chloride in this case mm. so they thought it would be completely unnatural it wouldn't happen in the living cell because they went up to like i think four molar salt concentrations depending on the sequence and base modifications like chemical groups attached to the the actual nucleobases you would find it at lower salt concentrations but most of the time only very high or still unphysiological so they thought it's some kind of um some kind of artificial byproduct Turned out many years later, it does exist also in living cells. And how there is they, probably how do they know? Um, for all of these structures, or that's a question that we can that goes for all of the structures. How do you know in the living cell? Um, this is done either through certain small molecules that only bind to these specific structures. In this case, it would be a small molecule that binds only to Z DNA, but not to B form DNA. And then this you have to have to verify. This this is of course um, mm. possible within the realm of science, or through antibodies, as so often. So there are also antibodies that bind to specific um, nucleic acid structures, DNA structures, and not only to other proteins. Hmm. You you do not. You yeah, I agree, happy. but it still seems kind of it's still proxy, right? Yes, yes, the best you the, because antibodies yes. sort of like I mean they're amazing, but they have like drawbacks as well. But okay, we yeah, I, I guess it's for now. Yeah. There's an interesting thing with when you have molecular recognition that the antibody binds to a certain shape, but at the same time, the antibody can organize things into that shape when it comes in. So it's not a hundred percent. I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent. Oh, if the antibody binds, then that thing is there. In that. In yeah, that you're jumping roughly ten minutes ahead, Chris. Genius as always. <laughs> That's, oh, no, wow. this is exactly. What the, the biggest uh, one of the biggest concerns when it comes to detecting these structures most of the time it is done with antibodies and since they're kind of interchangeable it's not always clear if they're there because the antibody made the structure appear like stabilizes the structure or which yeah. just was there and the antibody binds it mm. the same goes for small molecules in in a certain sense um, that would be fluorescent or so. Exactly. So ZDNA is still a helix, still the same base pairing, but it's just kind of 
kind of zigzagging. Do you know, like, is there a hypothesis why it exists? What's what's wrong with A and B? Why do you have to go fancy? Mm, so already A isn't really much of a thing for DNA. That's usually the, the helix shape that RNA adopts. Um, I do not know of a hypothesis why. I think I would, one could argue it increases the landscape of molecular recognition, meaning that you're just more possibilities to regulate things. Mm. A certain protein may bind to a the same sequence in Z DNA, but not in B DNA. And this way could, again, regulate like a, transcription. Yeah, another level of control. Better. I, exactly. I think it's also quite an interesting uh, question. It, it exposes a difference between biologists and, say, chemists when thinking about things, because um, you were seeking you were seeking a reason why it should exist, because it should provide utility to the living organism. Whereas I would have thought the different way around, and I would have said it exists because of the chemical structure of DNA. Like it's a possibility, as as Hannah said, it's a um, a metastable state that DNA could exist in. So it's one of the shapes that if you threw DNA and shook it around, it would form that shape and sit there in that shape until you shook it again and get it to another shape. Um, and so it may not there may not necessarily be a reason that it exists other than it is one of the things that does exist in the world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you agree with that, Hans? Yes, uh, 100%. I think that's a very good way of of looking at our different views of the world and of, of life. I think it's... But who is right? <laughs> <laughs> you both are. Oh, okay. Just games. look at it differently. Wow. We're both special together. Yay. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. I'm going to move on. Unless you have another question with the ZDNA. But no, I think no, no, the no. same Okay, I mean, are... Z, it feels like of the four you mentioned, that's what it feels like. That it's quite straightforward, I think. Yeah, exactly. What, what it is, in a way. Okay, the throw something at us that we don't Let's know. stick with the helix for a second and talk about a triplex. The helix is often called a duplex because it's made of two antiviral strands. The triplex is made of three strands, and this exists. The third strand can be parallel or antiparallel to the others. Well, it's always one to the other, but there's a bit of a difficult nomenclature, and the details aren't so important. But also here... Um, the situation is basically that a extending strand can fold back on itself and then keep going back again. Mm, so you basically, like similar to RNA, you basically get one single strand of DNA that forms a triplex. Exactly, itself. just that the, that the extending strand folds back onto something that's already a double strand. And this is possible mm. because the... Um, the part of the nucleobase that is not, not base pairing, like they call it the, the face or the side that is facing away from the base pairing center, can again interact in base pairs. For those who are interesting, that's called a Hoekstein base or a Hoekstein base pair. And this can form a triplex. Um, and also here is the same thing. I think it's, it's used for molecular recognition or only promoted through enzymes. I'm not entirely sure. And also, I think the field isn't entirely sure. These are things that are right now under, under ongoing discussion. Okay, so, but wait, 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 wait. Does this only happen at the end, basically, of a DNA molecule? No, not at the end. Somewhere in between. But how? How does it fold 
back on itself. If it's always double stranded, how can it open up and just fold back on itself? That's your question, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's it. This has been mind boggling for me as well, because I have been thinking of DNA is always double stranded. So how can make any structure? It would have to open up and then somehow find back to itself again, if it were to make a structure in between. I mean, but that's apparently exactly what's happening. You unravel it during uh replication for example yes that's the word i was looking for jesus i haven't talked about it thought about any of this in a really really long time so during replication you would have single stranded dna exactly yes is this like are they is this part of the hypothesis that that's when it happens no i don't think it has to happen there but it definitely happens to somewhat unfolded or they call it melted DNA. We have these two single strands. Oh no, I shouldn't have used the word now. Here. No, 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 I mean that's a correct word, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, no, it's right. It's melted. Yeah, it's melted. It's two strands funny. are separate. They're not forming a helix. It's just funny. It's a liquid though. Um why why do you need it to go back on itself? Couldn't you um so artificially, just as a test, can you um synthesize the corresponding third strand to sit into the duplex yes that works in vitro yeah. that works but in vivo DNA, you only see it coming back in and in a the thing is that dna in vivo doesn't exist as short oligonucleotides as short molecules right i see a, a piece of dna in vivo it unless of course it is your bacteria that has plasmids and stuff but in our bodies dna is always a whole chromosome yeah, and if it's not, then you have some severe issues. Like if you have short piece of DNA of your genome in the cytoplasm, it's usually a sign of cancer. Not good. I mean, some, some viral DNAs are there as well, where you have single-stranded DNAs yes, that come yes, in and do weird stuff. Might also be incorporated in the genome and so on. That's a, hmm. it's a different story. Okay, do they have a hypothesis? You said like regulation, but I would assume it makes it harder, for example, for... Uh, transcription factor or something to bind to it if you kind of like add a whole fucking extra strand no so what if the transcription factor only recognizes this strand Mm. so this this, this would have yeah but then it would you would have to have a uh, protein specifically evolutionarily driven into that direction to recognize a triple exactly so at some point they they asked or the the rationale was if this thing can exist in cells then evolution it having an agenda must have found some way to utilize it the whole for regulation. episode or several episodes that we can talk about that and we're just going to gloss over that one. But yeah, sure. Go. So people started looking for enzymes <laughs> to bind triplex DNA or Z DNA and they, they did exactly find them. Really? Okay, yeah. but with what binding affinity? Like, is it just like, <laughs> that's the same thing, right? If I throw protein micromolar. On... Micromolar? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You would like, uh, okay. This but, yeah, just, okay, what I'm trying no, but number. what I'm trying to get at, obviously, but what I'm trying to get at is if you throw enough proteins on random things, something will stick, right? Same yes. argument that if you have enough DNA, it will like form weird shapes. Yes. And but you don't think that scientists can control for that? That they can ensure specificity. I'm I'm asking you, is it like, so they have like KD values where they say this is specifically evolutionarily evolved to bind these 
I cannot okay. show you the study right now. All I can say is that these fields have been around for many years and more than one paper exists in all of these structures, rather hundreds. So I would say this is a very solid field and this isn't something like N-rays or polywater or one of these things that may or may not exist. Oh. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying they're there. I'm not saying they're doing bad science. I was just really interested but, in have they found proteins that do that, or are they actually saying, well, this is a dedicated protein that its specific job is finding this. This is how I understood it exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes, and yeah, this is I find this interesting. super interesting because um, re proteins recognizing DNA is for me is a bit mind-boggling because it's of course we have a lot of sequences that things can bind, but DNA is still large and and. Proteins has to be super specific, and this is kind of like another another level of recognition that proteins can utilize. And so to take what Philip's asking one stage further, have they identified any um, uh, wait, I'm gonna get this wrong, phenotypic responses? Or no, like anyway, mm. cellular responses due to these complexes happening or forming is there something like if you if you if they knock out that enzyme that binds the the um triplex that cells no longer multiply or they turn blue or something good question i <laughs> don't i don't know if those i think that mm, would be possible i i definitely see the papers but i think we often have the the problem of correlating well if you, if you knock something out you don't know if specific purpose of it was that or if other downstream effects might just lead to that thing yeah i think that's a, that's a general problem we have with or let's say it needs a lot of more complementary experiments to confirm that don't you think scientists can control for that <laughs> i think they do oh, i think they do there's two biologists getting angry at each other because their methods are a bit shit what did you just call me? Whoa! <laughs> wow. Okay. okay. Sorry. I mean, shots, I'm a, shots fired. I'm in a, I'm in a very right, bad right. antibiology funk at the moment at work. So that's, okay. that's a separate you, thing. Sorry. You can rant about it after the episode, but not like <laughs> yeah. by recording. Okay. All right. So, uh, let's move on. Let what's me, next? Let's, what's next? Next is um, G crotoplexes and I motifs. And they kind of belong a bit together for me. Because they both appear if you have a um, the same nuclear base in a longer sequence, or at least in a higher abundance for a certain um, length of a DNA structure. And for G cortexes, this is obviously G, the guanosine base, and for the I motif, it's the C, the cytosine base. Okay. And what happens? Why, why did they pick I? Why couldn't it have been a C quadruplex? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a quadruplex. So the thing with the the C. As the I motive is that uh, it's basically four strands that kind of floating around instead of base pairing, bases pairing above each other, they pair intercalated so that they stick their arms between each other. Mm. Like when when a group of people hold their hand and they're standing opposite each other, you know. Yeah, that metaphor really didn't help. Yeah, no, no it's I mean, it's not so easy to visualize. Maybe also the specific structure maybe is not so important here. So is it like is, if I take my hands and I kind of like usually you would have finger on finger. If I kind of like move my hands together, there would be finger on finger, and each base pair is another base pair. Would it be like if they slide together and I form like a praying? No, not really. It's it's <laughs> it's more four strands that are involved here, and they're so I need they to do four base pairs. 
exactly you need two extra hands that's what i was trying to get at but because we said intercalation which is usually kind of like you you move something within the base let's, let's try this between two base pairs exactly between two base pairs you have two perpendicular base pairs in between or one mm -hmm. between two adjacent ones you have another Press set of base Google pairs. It and explain it again because Han is okay. doing a terrible <laughs> job. Okay, through my massive powers of being able to become a DNA expert in two and a half seconds, um, a I motif, or in this one paper, it's called a C quadruplex, is no way. Uh, yeah, but then it's only one image that I found in Google. Um, it looks. Um, if, if imagine if you had a ladder, and then. Inside that ladder, you had another ladder going perpendicular to it in in each hole. So you'd have to construct the ladders on inside onto in, into each other, but they were uh, crosswise from each other. It looks a bit like that. Does that help at all? No, it's exactly know, maybe what it doesn't saying. matter. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Fine. Okay. Point being, okay, we'll the interesting on. thing here it's is not that understandable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing here is that you find a base pairing pattern that you don't find in DNA usually. And this is a C, C plus base pair. So it's two cytosins base pairing, and one of them is protonated. Mm -hmm. And this is only possible, Chris expects it already, is only possible at lower pH. So in vitro, you only find this at pH 5, more or less. Depends on a few factors. But you would not expect it to find it in the cell again, because our nucleus does not have pH 5. Mm. And as far as we know, not even locally. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That would have been our next question. And and again, it can. This could be promoted by a protein, but people have found out why this might still be the case that the molecular crowding effect, the cellular cellular interior is very very dense. That this promotes formation of these I motifs. While you would have not expected them to find them in vivo, you do find them after all. And again, it's another recognition motive that can be used for proteins for regulation. You tend to find them in promoter or terminator sequences and so on. Terminator sequences? Oh. Isn't it called termination sequence? Okay, whatever. No, it's um, a terminator. Really? Yeah. Okay, I feel, yeah, okay, never mind. My question is, so it's called a quadruplex, right? At least for the G quadruplex. Does that mean that the whole kind of like structure is only two base pairs long or because you have Sorry. four involved or is it like about, lots of Gs? I was talking about the I motive now, but I can quickly explain the, the G quadruplex. It's different. The G quadruplex is exactly a plane of four guanosines that come together and each binds the, the next one. So it's kind of like uh, a... Okay. So that's why they are plane. similar, that you have four strains interacting with each other. It's mm, it's usually not four strands that is possible in the test tube, but how oh, you yeah, find it in in vitro is that it's often even only one strand that, that makes three of these uh, these planes, goes around and then forms another three. So that each, um, let's say the left corner front left corner would be from the same strand and the same strand goes around and forms the back left corner that mm. goes around below and forms the back right corner and so on or it's made of two strands both are possible um the g quadruplex is insanely stable in 
vitro as in vivo and in vitro sorry in vivo in the genome it's famous for forming the structure of telomeres so it's supposed to protect the ends of our of our chromosomes from degradation yeah because the cell generally as we said doesn't like single-stranded dna and yeah it has mechanisms to deal with that and we really don't want that to happen exactly exactly and while for a long time people thought, well, g reflexes exist in our telomeres, but that's kind of it. By now, we have experimentally found at least 10,000 more in the genome, and up to 700,000 have been predicted. And also here we find them in promoter and terminator sequences, where they are supposed to serve as recognition motives or recognition structures for enzymes. Okay, can I, can I ask something again? This is super, super stupid. When you do transcription, does it be from a single strand or from a double strand? Mm, transcription in from DNA, DNA to RNA. And, and yes. what forms a single strand? No, so when you have the ribosome that creates mRNA, right? Yes, that's not transcription, but it's translation. And it happens in the oh, cytosol. Wait, wait, wait. And it doesn't create mRNA. <laughs> no, you're thinking of the, the RNA polymerase? Yeah, exactly. So I am talking uh -huh. about transcription, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay, transcription, RNA polymerase. Yes. What does it read from? Single stranded or double stranded DNA? Does it, it reads from a single strand. So the DNA is completely melted during transcription. It's called the transcription bubble. And there are depending on the polymerase is either a, it's called a helicase. That's the enzyme that pulls the strands mm -hmm. apart. It's going in front of the, uh, front of the polymerase, opening the strands up or the polymerase can do it itself, depending on the type. But so then it makes a bit more sense to me that you have, especially in the termination sequences, these like very stable structures that mm -hmm. sort of kind of like tie up the single stranded DNA at some point. I think that's that's how they were envisioned um, to work. This has then been found also in promoter regions a lot, actually. So maybe it would be that they form a very stable structure. A transcription factor finds those and then recruits a polymerase to start after that or so. So, so it's basically also possible to within work the, the promoter sequence that would be recognized, not slightly before that. Yeah, I think no, I think that's um that goes together, right? Promoter doesn't mean that's where the transcription starts, but that's where the polymerase binds and then runs off to mm. starts going. It's kind of mind-boggling to think about that we've sequenced the whole freaking genome. We've like figured out the helix and all of it, and there's the standard model. But then in reality, as always, it's just like all over the freaking place. Like absolutely. Why can't it just be easy? <laughs> what the hell is going on? Why can't it? Why can't it just be code? I think you, as a as a very computer um, savvy person, must be a bit. Yeah, it's really it. annoying. There's so much code, and then there's stuff on top of that. And then it uses the bug. You know, like you could say, you could argue like these like extra structures. You would say, hey, I built a DNA. It's supposed to be a helix, and then I sometimes I unwind the helix. That's the, but that's what I'm proposing. 
then mm-hmm. biology fucks up and it makes molecules that don't always do that. And then it goes, oh, this is nice. We're just going to use it as a feature. Yeah. Like what kind of <laughs> preposterous bullshit is that? How are you supposed to understand any of it? It was just like randomness on top of randomness on top of randomness and all of it is being used on some level. That's a good way of seeing it. Biology is making features out of bugs. Yeah, all the freaking time. Like what the hell? <laughs> Um, there's a fundamental so you talked about transcription um, when a cell undergoes my, um, mitosis and duplicates DNA um, to form two new cells DNA polymerase cuts in at this point uh, sorry helicase cuts in and then there's DNA polymerase that also cuts in and begins to replicate the entire um, yes. chromosome here so they, they're managing to pull apart the chromatin somehow, and then come in and start. Do they start from one end and just keep going? Or is it lots of little sections? No, I think they start somewhere in between. Uh-huh. And so- uh, the, Right, there's this node, the centrosome. I think that's where replication starts. Mm-hmm. And then so you look they, at, they finish yes. at the telomeres where the g quadruplexes are. I do think so, yes. And then in the, the theory of eight, the telomere theory of aging, which is maybe debatable, but then if they don't finish the whole strand, they get a bit bored. Exactly. You have repetitive sequences there. Oh, fuck that. She's G quadruplexes again. They're just so fucking stable. Yeah. That's kind of, it's a bit more that the telomere replication thing is way more complicated than I don't know too much about it, I have to admit. But the the point is that uh, you have repetitive sequences that are not replicated very well. In the end, you have a telomerase that attaches actually RNA to the DNA with these g complexes that are also supposed to stabilize the DNA. And there might have been some mistake in there, but I cannot. Well, if you know it, let me know. Yeah, sure. If you can prove me wrong, shoot us an email. (laughs) Or apply for another place. Either way. Okay, so I think I figured out what these extra structures are. What what interests me is why is it exciting to you? Like from my yes. level of biology that I'm standing, I'm so far removed from that level. Like why, why is it exciting? So it excited me for, for a very basic reason, I think, which is that we found things in vitro, all of them. Someone thought about structures that DNA could make. And then they were found in vitro and said, hmm, look, in a test tube, I can make this, but it's completely irrelevant to life. And then people thought, hmm, maybe it isn't. If there is a potential feature or bug, it, it is probably there. So they went ahead and looked for it, and they found them, all of them. And only recently they found some of them. Um, so this was part of the re- why I was writing this review, is that some of them have actually measured with atomic detail in living cells, proving that they do actually also form in there, such is not the most solid one so far, but it's, but it's clear that these structures do exist and they do have function and this function is absolutely crucial for for cells and it i find it amazing because it just goes beyond exactly just this mere code and gives dna an aspect of a biomolecule is just not a code written on a helix like a piece of paper but it's actually three-dimensional it does, does interesting things just mm-hmm. like proteins do can uh, this is more well i think 
Do you think that either DNA or RNA existed before proteins and replication systems using either one of the nucleic acid systems was the earlier precursor to the protein systems? I do. Th Are you referring to the RNA world hypothesis, which states that RNA was the first biomolecule out there and then the others followed? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I, without knowing all the evidence out there, it's a very active field. Um, I would subscribe to that. To me, it sounds very reasonable. So there's enough complexity. The RNA world hypothesis. There's yes, enough however, in DNA and RNA or RNA itself. In RNA, not the DNA. I think okay. if you want DNA, you need proteins because the conversion from RNA to DNA, it's just one atom less, but the reaction there, you know about this best, Chris, it's just, quote marks, just getting rid of a hydroxyl group. It's very complicated and it's a, it's a multi-enzymatic, like a step involving several enzymes. To get there, it's not very straightforward. So I do think the proteins were there once DNA was used for information storage. Thank you all for listening. This was Further Research Needed and you'll hear from us in two weeks. Bye bye everyone. Bye.